Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with artist Alban Lowe to find out about his inclusive approach to art. Alban often devises and delivers exhibitions featuring contributions from hundreds of members of the public. Since graduating from Leicester Polytechnic and Kingston University, Alban Lowe has worked as a signwriter, lecturer and professional illustrator, designing dozens of album covers for jazz artists. He is also the organiser of many group exhibitions around the themes of caring and mental health, such as The Art of Caring at St George's Hospital London, and his project Ideas in Motion was shown at Tate Modern in London. Alban Lowe is also reviving the publishing imprint Sampson Lowe and has published over 150 chapbooks. During our conversation, we consider the merits of honest feedback, Alban's approach to drawing fast and slow, and how to make a book in a week. We also discuss Alban's invitation to sketch in the dissecting room at Guy's Hospital. So please be warned that this conversation is definitely not for the faint-hearted. Our conversation takes place at the Stour Space London, where Alban is about to show work from his latest project, Dear World. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. To something to do with art, and today I'm with Alban Lowe. Hello, Alban. Hello, Robert. Very good to see you and to catch up with you. Now, you are, as I understand it, an artist, a designer, an illustrator. You do uh, album album covers for uh, jazz artists. Uh, you are a perambulatory artist, walking the streets. Uh, you're a publisher of the Samson Lowe imprint, and you are the founder of Collect Connect as an um, art uh, collective, which is fantastic. So lots of strings to your bow, and I'm really interested to hear about all of them. And in particular, what I think really interests me is your inclusive approach to art and the way in which a lot of the work that you do, a lot of the exhibitions that you put together, they are inclusive. There's no hurdle or bar to get over. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, so I'm a great believer in um, if I create an opportunity, then that often means that it would be really easy to pass that opportunity on to someone else. Because um, most of it in starting an opportunity, say an exhibition or a project or a commission, um, the hard work's in those early stages in say finding a space so the hardest thing uh, traditionally I think in any area actually certainly in this country is finding a space to exhibit so if you can either find a space to exhibit or uh, exhibit outside of a gallery which we do a lot then the opportunities just um, flow. So do you want to say a little bit about some of your projects or give me an example of a project where you have included, see sometimes you include dozens and dozens of artists don't you and do call outs and it's, and it's open, would, would you like to describe one of the ones that you've uh, worked on? Yes, yeah, so, I mean actually they're quite hard to uh, find one that fits 
the whole kind of the system really. Um, so we started actually, if I start at the beginning, we started at uh, a gallery space called Gallery 89 in Barnet for um, people recovering from and working with mental health issues. Um, and we were asked to come up with an exhibition and we talked, we spent some time with them first of all, the, the people in the group, and we came up with an idea of exhibiting their work on fridge magnets. So I should have said that you're a magnet artist. <laughs> so what we found actually, so the barriers to them exhibiting were that they would face rejection. So all our shows, there's no um, curatorial control in that respect. We set the theme and then the artist is responsible for putting the work that fits the theme in. And then cost, so a lot of these people with mental health issues weren't working or had no money or were on uh, benefits and so money was a huge issue. And so that actually between those two things it, it was, and then I suppose the third one was that they had work all different sizes and they couldn't get them in or they things were wet or so we actually divide just said let's send them in by email and then someone could send them in from their bedroom and, they, and they, if issue say agoraphobia was an issue then they wouldn't have to even come out of their their own house to to exhibit so we took away all the back barriers we tried to take away every barrier there was um, and then the final barrier so that was a uh, that went really well and actually we found that lots of other artists wanted to exhibit so look we're not part of this group but it's uh, we really want to get involved and then i suppose the fourth um fourth wall or fourth barrier that we got rid of was actually exhibiting outside the gallery so we found that we started exhibiting on the streets putting the magnets up that would have been uh, the fringe arts bath exhibition um, Do you want to say a little bit about your magnets because I know that you've done some work, well quite a lot of work with magnets which is rather unusual I think, so do you want to say a little bit about that? Um, so yeah, so it, it was just a great, it's a great way to print uh, work onto the magnet, a magnetic substrate and then of course it can go out in public and it doesn't fit into graffiti because it's re instantly removable. It doesn't um, have a, it's not litter because it's of a, such a small scale and it's not um, fly posting because it's not advertising anything. So it falls between all those stalls really and you can't be prosecuted. So it gives you that total freedom to put whatever you want up. So you are St Alban really. <laughs> <laughs> so you put the artwork onto like little magnet surfaces, a bit like, as you say, a, a fridge mag magnet, and then you distribute them around your locality, wherever that might be, for people to find and to, yeah. then they can either take them home, or do you, do you then have any idea of what happens to them um, after So I reckon, uh, let's be honest, I'm very honest about it, and probably the majority get thrown away. Um, every artist likes to think that there's been picked up, but they are picked up as well and we encourage the public so the, um, the last part of it I suppose is that uh, we, we're going onto the public's turf we are going outside the gallery and we're also saying you can pick it up you can start collecting everyone has a fridge and I bet you from those early shows 
So we did with Brighton, Hastings, um, uh, Manchester, Bath, New York. We went round the world with it. Um, that they could, that I bet those are on fridges everywhere. And because people just leave stuff in their fridge, they they've left it for years. I bet. You know. And they're and they're going to be collectors' items in years to come. You Maybe. know, those there may even still be some in years, in a few years time. Archaeologists will be uncovering a magnet <laughs> that's been left behind. They'll be wondering how on earth it ended up where it did. What interests me also is the sense of inclusivity and how that differs from a curated show where you're putting together something that is kind of shaped somehow or, or um, uh, pre-selected. What would you say are the differences in the kind of the, the, the feel of the outcome that you get when you get a, a multiplicity of ideas, a multiplicity of approaches that you don't um, pre-select? The public have to work harder in a way to find their route through it but actually they also don't have to work as hard because it's in their space, it's right down their street. They may take, have a look at one picture one day and then they might walk past another picture another day. Um, so I think it redresses a small imbalance, well, a large imbalance really. I mean, we make a small step in most of gallery exhibitions are in galleries where people can't touch the work, they can't really get involved in the work um, and I'd like to see it totally different, I'd like to see it completely around the other way. I'd like to see 10% shows are in galleries with behind glass and, and I'd like to see 90% of exhibitions are, are either on the street or more accessible to the public. And actually, when you engage with people that are seeing your work, it's an amazing experience um, to engage directly with them. Um, and you also get some unpleasant news as well, that either you're not good enough, your stuff's rubbish. I mean, I've sat in screenings of my films, so I make films as well, and I've sat in a screening of a film and the people in front of me said, this is awful, it's the biggest load of rubbish, you know. And then I've been online and uh, I published the drawings of the musicians I draw um, and people have been totally rude about my work and, and it's something you have to take. You, you know, might as well open your eyes and it helps you either get better or change or, you know, get stronger. So it's, 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 it's more genuine in some way or more authentic or more more exposing maybe I don't know oh, it's very much more exposing yeah it feels it feels a bit like the, the online community where now there's you know there's no holds barred or there's you know there's honesty there's also you know it tips over into all sorts of unpleasantnesses but there's a there's a kind of a, a space or a sense in which people are not only encouraged to comment but feel entitled or enabled to comment in a way that sometimes with with more uh, precious spaces as it were yeah. uh, you might feel inhibited or may feel that it's it's not intended for you uh, yeah um, yes so in that context I'm really um, intrigued to ask you about because uh, I know that I think you did some work at Tate Modern did you not as one of your um, inclusive exhibitions so I'm really interested in how that dynamic played out in a space like Tate Modern and I'm also interested just to hear about Tate Modern because 
um, for a lot of artists, they would well, you, you know, you can stop now. Your 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 work is done. You you are an artist who has shown work at Tate Modern. Um, so I'm intrigued to hear about it, but also how that gallery setting uh, worked for the type of art that you do. It was intimidating, but I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that was interactive. We um, came up with an idea of taking like an underground map and charting people's mental health journeys between kind of concepts, between things in their life, life and death, mum and dad, um, being well and being unwell. So we asked actually online beforehand uh, people to send in their own journeys and we generated about three or four hundred words um, between between uh, these journeys so for instance my mum to dad would I'm just thinking off the top of my head I'm thinking uh, when I think of my dad I think of my moustache I think of my mum I think of Devon and somewhere in between them I think of um, a walk in the country something like that so I'd put them down as my three things three words um, and so we generated three or four hundred of these and then members of the public could come along at Tate Modern and use all these kind of stations if you like these words and then chart their own mental health journeys on a massive map like a massive tube map really. And how, and how was it received? Did you did you kind of loiter in the back of the gallery just for a while just to see what people did and how it worked? I really love that I leave an artwork whether it's in public or here in Star Space and then I just it looks after itself, that's, that's, that's me. I don't like to police it too much, to, to look after it too much. Uh, I'm a bit of a gambler, I'm a natural gambler, and I like setting something up and then letting it go. Um, so I only was there for the first hour as I was setting it up and um, immediately setting up a, another artist that I'd never met before called Amy Sharrocks came round and she's done some work on sort of walking and she's an amazing artist and she was absolutely um, bowled over by it so that is really that's really great when you get something Fantastic. like that another artist and they talked about it and they talked about the transitions that were going on and um, transitions are quite a big uh, kind of buzz a buzzword at the moment so um, yeah so yeah it is, it's nice to well it's great to get any feedback I think yeah, great, excellent. So, um, just thinking about um, all the art that you make and all the different the different forms, and, and uh, you said that mental health is something that um, is is that a common theme that runs throughout? Is that how how does that fold into what you do and your agenda for for art? Um, I've always been interested in it, um, and a lot of my friends are therapists for some reason. Art therapist Dean Reddick, co-founder of. Uh, Collect Connect, Harvey Wells, Kevin Acott, he's a writer I um, work with uh, a lot. He, um, he teaches um, therapy and, and is a therapist himself. Um, so it's come up as part of my life, I think. I don't know quite why. And particularly at the moment, there's a work for artists and there's a need for artists in an exhibition like this where artists help scientists and help doctors and medical professionals get their point across, get their information across. 
and public engagement is huge you know um there's uh, an understanding that they need to all a lot of organizations need to reach out to the public much better um so i've done quite a lot in things like pathology museums over the last few years and places to do with the human body and again i think that's really fascinating that um body parts and uh, did went into a dissecting room at guys and sketched in there and so i think things that make you feel more human whether it's touching things or places that are where things happen uh, will always attract artists i hope so uh, that was definitely something on my list to ask you about because i seem to remember that you said that you uh, did some sketching um in the dissecting room and i think that is possibly my kind of my worst nightmare but I, I I'm fascinated to ask you about it and so tell me how you got in how you ended up in the dissecting room at Guy's Hospital and what it was like. Well I, and like you I'm sure when someone says do you fancy doing something you you say yes as an artist you you just say yes. And I'd say yes to most things but I, I'm not sure I'd have to kind of have a have a cushion have to and you, peek behind and you either work out how to do it if someone says can you do this you say yes and then you try and work out how you can do it or you say yes and then you work out a strategy where you can cope with this, the situation I think we're quite good at finding routes through things building up structures to, to help us and to explain it to other people so the dissecting room was amazing. It's one of the most uh, inspirational days of my life. Really? Yeah, because I've never seen a dead body before and I knew that I would need to sit down when they revealed all the dead bodies. So we went in, there was a, probably about 10 or 12 groups of students, about five or six in each group. They each had a body that all the bodies were under a um, like a metal uh, sarcophagus, if you like. And, uh, so it was all stainless steel when we first went in. And then a lecturer, um, a really a great, a couple of great old established men and, and surgeons talked first and they got this, what looked like a model. It was so papery and fabricy and they'd lift up the chest and they'd pull out the intestines and, and we thought, oh, that's just the model. And then as he got close, he realised actually it wasn't. It was a human uh, torso that would be, I suppose, all the liquid had come out of it and then replaced by um, uh, preservatives. And then uh, eventually, they, after their talk, they lifted up these uh, metal boxes and underneath was all uh, the bodies. and. It was hard because the bodies already been cut up and things that I found hard were things like hands and feet. Hands still could look like they were just about to twitch and suddenly reach out to you. And then of course the heads and the faces. So the faces would still, the hair had still carried on growing, must have been a little bit after they died or something, so you could still see the hair. And then the heads had been opened up and the top of the head had been taken out so in a previous lesson they must have done something about the brain so the brain had been scooped out and it looked like a kind of um, cornet you know like an ice cream cornet with a kind of the, that top of the head was like a receptacle with it ice cream had slightly slowly melted like a strawberry <laughs> yeah. ice cream like a or you know like a pinky 
but it actually it was most of the bodies were grey. They had a kind of grey waxy waxiness to them or a yellow waxiness to them. So after a while you didn't get you didn't it didn't sort of uh, kick up in you. But what was hard was afterwards going out into the real world and walking amongst all these very alive people. And on that way home we walked past the butchers and we nearly I was with Harvey Wells and Kevin Acott, who I collaborate a lot on, and um, we both nearly, we all nearly doubled up sick because the smell of the meat, it was that, that juxtaposition, and uh, it really got to us, you know, just at a certain point. Really? So, um, and, but, and you say that it was one of the most uh, affecting days of your life, and in, in, what, in what way, apart from, well I say, apart from, but uh, clearly from how you've described it, I can imagine the unrealness or the, the difference from, ev- from the everyday, you know, as you say, stepping out back into the real, quotes, real world, the animated, the alive world. Well, I, never, I just never forget it. I don't go, I could, you know, some of those pictures are still in my mind. And well, I was lucky to go in and to sketch it because you can't take photos in there. These people have given up their bodies to medical science, and so they have to. There has to be respect to the relatives. They don't want to suddenly find a photo on the internet, or but I could sketch them, and that's I get a lot of my work through um, people actually trying to slightly get around copyright and things like that by getting me to sketch things, um, and I can sketch musicians. I can, you know, I enjoy sketching anything really. Um, but the bodies, I, don't, I think it's more the experience. I, the art was okay, it was alright. I was going to ask you what, what happened to the drawings that you made. My drawings were okay, they weren't, they weren't groundbreaking at all, but I think as an experience. I think but you haven't, shown, you haven't shown them all? Yeah, the, I, we published them in a, in a book and we actually did an exhibition, uh, a rather br- a wonderful exhibition but with none of the public could come to because what we didn't realise, we did the exhibition in the Gordon Museum of Pathology at Guy's and what we didn't realise, no, no members of the public could come in. <laughs> so we had this brilliant opening night with a pianist and sort of live poetry and eight people oh, no. and eight, you know, 40,000 specimens all looking at us. So it was a rather spooky kind of night. 40,000? Or something, I ate 10,000 or something. All these specimens on all of these shelves. What do you mean? Rip, really? So it was in a pathology museum, yeah. We sure, did the exhibition. And then what, they're all like in jars? Jars, jars, yeah. really? Yeah. So we had this oh really weird kind of night with, you know, eight alive people and like, you know, tens of thousands sort of body parts all looking at us. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can imagine that's that's quite something else and quite 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 affecting. Yes. Well, maybe that's a point point at which to pause for a restorative cup of tea and uh, perhaps some chocolate or something to to, <laughs> to, to bring a bit of colour back to my vegetarian. My yeah, Definitely. yeah. Okay. Well, let's pause it at that point. Thank you.
Okay, so we are back after a, uh, a refreshment of coffee for you, orange juice for me. How was that? Refreshing. <laughs> Good. Well, what I wanted to talk a little bit about was your skills and your approach to illustration. I love drawing. Uh, it's the basic, it's the be all and end all, and I will do it in my spare time. So I, on the way here, I did two hours of drawing on the train, uh, just letting my mind wander and just uh, drew a picture of something. Have you got some examples? Have yeah, got here? so I've got my sketchbook. So yeah. it's, uh, I take a student sketchbook, I cut it in half and make an A5 sketchbook. So it's got notes from a meeting that I had a few days ago and it's got a drawing there that's um, using a brush pen um, I don't know where I listen to music I get influenced by music quite a lot well is this done on the train yeah just coming here so this is fantastic so um, I'm trying to describe it for our listeners so it's a monochrome drawing it's portrait and um, it comprises a figure under some spotlights yeah, and street, street lamps. lamps yeah I suppose street lights they, they, they and kind of caught in caught in the beams with, is it a cat in a basket? Yeah, it's a, a skipping granny. Collect, a skip, of course, a skipping granny. Collecting in a kind of wicker basket. So it's a granny that looks back on a an era, probably 30 or 40 years ago, when you do your shopping in a basket with a basket. Yeah. And uh, picking up stray cats. Um, and the spotlights, are, there's a sort of pure world. There's a sort of loveliness to this world. And that, with the light, there's also shadows. And along the top, you've got two people, and they are, what, how would you say what they are doing? I don't know, they're eating, it looks like little figures. They, I don't, it's quite disturbing to say they're babies, but I don't well, know. Well, I was wondering if they were vomiting out children, yes, but maybe they're, maybe they're ingesting them instead. I don't know, I just, I love a drawing where you start and you don't know where it's going to go. I think there's something very refreshing about that. I think so often in art we can start off with the idea or the concept, and uh, you know, and it can we can make it work from that. So exhibition like this one where we're here today started off with a concept. But isn't it nice to just do a drawing and see where it ends up? It must be immensely satisfying to have that ability to uh, um, describe things and illustrate them in in that sort of a way. Well, I think it's a real survival kit of an artist. Um, someone, a young artist, asked me recently, I said, uh, you know, what should I do? How can I get this sort of work? Um, how can I survive? And I think one of the things that I've learned is to have a fast style and a slow style. So a fast style might be actually something that's partly traced, you know, when I was at art school, tracing something was like a big no-no. Oh, you can't do that. That's like, you know, it's cheating. But you, as soon as you're out of art school, you realise there's no, nothing about cheating. There's no rules at all. You can do whatever you want. So I've got like a fast style. So I can do 20 illustrations in a day, say, for a book. Um, and then that make that you know that means it can be kind of cost-effective, and I can get that get paid for that. So it doesn't go on it's not not doing it for a week um, and then you can have a slow style that you quite enjoy and then it's about being much more therapeutic for yourself um, so yeah so you've got to 
sometimes you've just got to bosh that work out and it is enjoyable but it's you know you're working with other people and I think we're working with other people is a great skill as well is uh, learning to collaborate and 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 find that other people's ideas can be better than yours and things as well so what sort of thing can you give me an example and so we say you're working on an album cover um you've got to be prepared to change and you've got to be prepared to do something that you don't think is right but it's right for the 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 band or the uh, musician themselves and you've got and actually in the long run it's it's getting what they want to get across. You're helping them get that. It's not about your voice, necessarily. But why do we, have, for instance, why do we, uh, people used to try and uh, slack me off or try and put me down by calling me an illustrator? I don't know. I don't give a monkey. You can call me whatever you like. But they deliberately would say, oh, you're not an artist or a fine artist. You're an illustrator. And they said it with art, like their lips curled, and I could, you know, and, that, and that's what they used to do because you drew figuratively, and drawing figuratively uh, is seen as not necessarily having uh, as much concept behind it, which is a load of rubbish. Doesn't mean that at all, you know. Um, and you get all these sort of rules that get put on you, and it, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a load of rubbish, really. Um, and I get that a lot. I get a lot of people saying, but you do this, you can't do that. So I've got lost, you know, I enjoy that the work is dictated by either the client or the circumstances. It's not dictated by your ego. And I find that a lot that uh, it amazes me that an artist can't be adaptable enough to change their style or change their vision or the way they work to by the the theme of the work or by the situation they're in, I think it's much more honest and brave to let yourself be dictated by uh, the situation. People do have strongly held opinions, let's put it that way, as to what isn't and isn't art. Um, so you've, you've, um, you've brought in various different publications and I wanted to ask you about your Samson Lowe imprint. Can you tell me a bit about that? Uh, so it came out of actually working with lots of artists and find realising that if you don't have any one mode of exhibiting, if you, you're a magpie like myself and you're open to any possibility, then actually publishing and a book is a great way of communicating. And it's a lovely physical thing. It gives time to get your point across. Um, it can contain a lot of information obviously and it can be very affordable so yes yeah, so we started it came out actually of the collect connect group uh, and you did the front cover of our first ever book um, I did, which I? was called freed book so the idea behind that was that we'd publish one page stories in a book and then release them out into the wild we did spent a day going around all the book swapping network on the TFL, there's about eight or ten of them, I think, and we'd put a book in each of these little libraries in different stations across London for people to pick up. 
So again, it's about sharing and inclusivity and it's a very generous approach to art, isn't it? We have been publishing since 1793 as a family and thousands of books from thousands of authors for the last 200 years plus. But it's so affordable now with printing you can do through the internet. So I don't have a printer, I don't have a printer at, home, printer at home, but you can get a file, send it off and it can be back with you within a week. So in the last two or three years, we've specialised in something called a chat book. So we've got some examples here, yeah. haven't we? And so what, what they are, this now kind of fits in the palm of my hand pretty well. And it is, how many pages is this one about? 16. Eight or 16 pages and um, stapled together, as you say. And it, and it has a quite a homemade aesthetic, doesn't it? It's, um, so you take it from one sheet of paper, you fold it and fold it a bit like origami, and then if you cut the pages in the right way, then it kind of magically reveals itself to be a, a, a book. And So this one is a great point. So I did a residency, that book called Limey. I did a residency at Bury St Edmunds, uh, so we start the week off uh, on Monday and Tuesday, me and Kevin Acott, the poet, and we wrote a book in those two days. He wrote a book and I wrote a book, and we sent them off to the printers on Tuesday. We got them back from the printers on Friday, we folded them and launched the book on the Saturday. Fantastic. All ISBN, and that the ISBN went through in that time, so it reached worldwide by Saturday, and we only started it on Monday. That's incredible. It's very agile as well, isn't it? Another way to get get the artwork out there and get it get it in front of people. It's very experimental as well because the costs are low. There's something like that's so on a 130 GSM paper, so quite light. It's and that would be about 25 to 30 pounds. And the ISBNs, I mean, ISBNs aren't expensive. They really shouldn't be this sort of myst, you know mystical kind of number. They are. They cost about three pounds, so you're you're probably putting a book out for thirty pounds, thirty wow. to you know thirty five pounds something like that. And how many of these chat books have you done now? So if I think we're on about one hundred and fifty four, one hundred and fifty. Fantastic. Um, all different stuff, all different. Um, that's one of mine, but. Um, I work with a lot of poets, um, I've brought my own along today, but we work with all sorts of different authors. So we've got 1930s musicians here, Hammersmith and Shepherds Bush. So have you researched this one as well? Yeah, so I enjoy, I've always worked with musicians since uh, I started as an artist. I used to go to my local pub and sketch the musicians when they jammed um, and played and then I just started sketching them and then one day one of them said would you do an album cover for us it was a band called Particle um, that have now gone on to great things and um, and I just started there and that's where my album cover started and my light so I draw musicians as well and I work on the radio program a world in London every Wednesday night sketching musicians and I've just I love maps, I love places, I love um, uh, music. Tell me about the radio, because um, uh, sketching on the radio doesn't seem to be a concept <laughs> that's going to readily translate. How does that work? Well, I think 
we, you know, and, and everyone listening will know that actually the internet is hugely visual. It's an amazing opportunity for artists um, that can create work that is instantly recognisable, uh, can be scaled big, small. So my work's very graphic, I think you touched upon that already. So I work in try and draw musicians using maybe one line or two lines or three lines, something very simple. It can be dropped down to a thumbnail uh, size image that might be like two centimetres or a centimetre, but also it can be scaled up so it can be any size. With block colours, um, simple, bright, and then what that does on the radio, it means people can um, find, if they search an art musician, they search for um, uh, a musician's name and then they'll find my image and that will lead them back to the, the radio programme which will be online. So Alban, thank you so much for um, this conversation. I found it really fascinating. I just wanted to finish by drawing together a few threads that have come out of uh, what we've been discussing and I think in particular the way in which you approach art is this very collective, inclusive, available um, almost lo-fi approach and, and that's very refreshing in many ways. It's a very different animal in some ways to art that, that is quite rarefied and um, can feel quite um, uh, difficult to get into but the way that you approach it has got a, a life and a liveliness and, a, and an authenticity to it I think. Would you say that's a good way of putting it? Yeah, it's very nimble I think. It's, uh, it's very immediate um, and it's got lots of vehicles, lots of ways of expressing itself. So yeah, I, I love it, um, and it's a and it's a great connector with other artists and the public. And it's and finally, uh, it's it's very empowering. I assume for the people who take part, they feel that they are literally included in the project. Yeah, and why not? What a great way to finish! Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media, so please check out the podcast notes for links and further info. Many thanks to Berwick Livingstone for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. That's it for this episode. I hope to catch up with you again soon.